Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm Clayton Fletcher, your host, joined today by your former host <laughs> and, uh, of course, dear friend of the podcast, uh, TPE's very own Killing Bird, Derek Tenbush. Hey, Derek. What's up, Clayton? How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. Uh wanted to hear, first thing, uh, a, a while back when we had Jason on and he was explaining to me what a stormer is and how he's now in charge of all the ACR stormers. And somehow it came up that you were running a charity home game. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's you know it's something I've done. This is actually the fourth year that I did it, um, and it's I'm happy to say it has grown every year. Um, and basically, so I run a home game every Tuesday anyway, um, and it just happens that the Tuesday after Thanksgiving is called Giving Tuesday, and you'll see a lot of companies running different promotions and stuff. And it's, you know, it's kind of like Black Friday, but instead of spending money, you're supposed to donate money. Right. So so it just worked out kind of perfect that I always do it on Giving Tuesday. Um, and my wife and I work really closely with an organization called Triangle Beagle Rescue, which um, a really long story about how I got involved with them. But you can actually hear that story on the Thinking Poker podcast I was last on, if you want to hear that. Oh, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, a little tie in there, but, um, yeah, so it's an organization we work really close with. So every year I, I, I do this stream on Twitch where, um, basically every penny that's donated, um, or, you know, people can also subscribe to the stream and do different things that, that give me money essentially, but I just take all that money and give it to Triangle Beagle Rescue on that one night. So, um, yeah, so it was really fun. We raised over $3,000, which was amazing. Wow. Um, so yeah, I got to give a shout out, you know, to anybody out there who's listening who happened to to, to be in the stream that night or supported in any way, you know, thank you because that's an incredible amount of money to a, to a very small uh, charity. You know, it's 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 one of, you, you always hear these horror stories about how you know sixty percent of your money doesn't actually make it to the actual cause and things like that. But um, Triangle Beagle Rescue is just a very small, all volunteer run. You know, there's no there's no high paid CEO or anything like that. Right. Um, so you know, it's it's nice to be able to, to hand over that much money to an organization where you know every penny is going to go to good use. So um, yeah, really. So it was terrific. really great. So what is it about beagles that? Uh, how do beagles have such a special place in your heart? So basically, the, long, the, the, the short story is we our first dog was a beagle. Uh, that beagle got loose uh, and was lost for two weeks. And in our many in, in, in the many ways we tried to uh, to find her, one of them was that we reached out to Triangle Beagle Rescue because we just assumed if somebody found them that they might might turn her into this rescue. Um, we did end up finding her. Um, not through Triangle Beagle Rescue, but through other crazy means. Um, but they were really, really helpful and really kind and generous and nice to us and everything. So then, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years, she passed away. And so we made a donation to the rescue in her honor. And when we did that, we got sort of a letter back thanking us, you know, for the donation, but then also saying, you know, if you'd ever like to get involved as a volunteer or a foster, um, you know, here are the opportunities for that, for you to do that. 
And we jumped on it, and we kind of started out just you know helping out in little ways at first, and then eventually we became fosters. And I think I, I'm I don't know the exact number, but I'm guessing we fostered somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 dogs, maybe. Wow. During that time. Wow. Uh, and and my wife's now on the board of that charity, and she also um, uh, handles all the social media and event planning and things like that for them. So it's, uh, it's become almost a full-time job, even though there's no pay. <laughs> yeah. But and how many uh, of those, uh, beagles were named Snoopy? <laughs> Would you believe none? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> At least not of the ones we've fostered. I guarantee right. you there's been some Snoopies, but none yeah. that we've fostered. Um, yeah. we did end up, we, one dog that we fostered for a year, he was, uh, a very sort of a trouble case, you know, like a, a challenging case. Um, so we fostered him for a year and he basically, we came to the conclusion at some point that he was just unadoptable. He just had too many anxiety issues and stuff. So we adopted him permanently and he has the most, he has the next most unoriginal name for a dog, which is Spot. So, Spot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was his, uh, that was his name as a you know, as a dog that was available for adoption, if somebody else had adopted him, they could have changed the name. But we were like, well, we've been calling him Spot for a year, so I guess we kind of have to stick with that now. <laughs> so, yeah. so he, he's our, so he's our permanently now. But um, yeah, so that's that's the, that's the most unoriginal name we've had. Definitely Spot, Rover, Fido, the classics, yeah. <laughs> you know, the yeah. classics. Although I don't know if you watch The Walking Dead, but one of the characters has a dog now, and that dog's name is Dog. So <laughs> that might be, I guess that actually is the most unoriginal name. <laughs> I like keeping the dog's name if you adopt a pet. Like I have a, a cat that I adopted and uh, his name in, this, in the uh, adoption center was Bert. And I'm like, you know, Bert the cat, you can't beat it. I can't think of anything better. So we just, you know, I said, yeah. look, let you and me, Bert. Yep, so, that's a great name. I like yeah. that name. And if I ever got another cat, I could always name him Ernie. So Exactly. <laughs> have them both. Yeah, but that's great that you did that for the animals. So basically people watch you play poker on Twitch and uh, what it, like if they enjoy what you're doing and they appreciate your work, they can make a donation. And then those donations go to the charity. Is that basically how it works? Yeah, that's exactly how it works, at least for that evening. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the other times, like, it's basically – the best way to look at it is sort of like tipping, you know. Sure. So somebody sits there and watches your stream for an hour, and they they're either a entertained or b feel like they're being educated. So they might, you know, they can tip you, you know, a quarter. They can tip you a dollar. They, right. You know, some some people donate twenty bucks. Like, uh, it just really depends. But um, yeah, it's a really it's it's a cool platform. I mean, for people who haven't checked it out, I, I think it's very. So my stream in particular is very much just entertainment. Like I don't do a lot of strategy talk while I'm playing. You know, I don't go into in-depth analysis. I don't pull a PO solver and run a spot and go, oh, I should have folded or whatever. You know, you mostly um, get drunk, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> we, we we drink a lot of beer and we play a ton of poker, but we don't talk about the poker as much as we talk about the beer. <laughs> sure. And speaking of beer, the last time we spoke, uh, you were moving back uh, home to start a new job. Yep. So how's that going? It's going good. So, yeah, so we're back in North Carolina now. Uh, right now I'm in Aberdeen, North Carolina. We're actually staying in an Airbnb um, while our house is being built that we're actually buying. So, yeah, we've our, our, our nomadic lifestyle is coming to a close. We'll hopefully, knock on wood, should be in that house December 28th. So we only got about, I don't know, I guess about three weeks left of not having a home. But it's been... It'll end up. It'll have been about nine months, eight or nine months that we've just kind of been on the <laughs> on the move, 
Um, That's exhausting. It really is. Yeah, like I love, like I've loved it for sure. You know, like it's been a real adventure. It's been, uh, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of things. We've met a lot of people we would have never met. Done a lot of things we wouldn't have done. But at the same time, like, I really just want my own bed. Like, I want an <laughs> I want an office again. Like, uh, it's just been a lot of. Uh, yeah, not being able to get settled in, you know, and we, we, you know, I keep, I keep telling people about how we, we sold or donated or, or gave away everything we owned essentially, um, which has been really nice and freeing, but there's just like a few things where I'm like, I really want that again, but I don't yeah. want to buy it now because I don't want to move it. So I'm just like, okay, once we move, I can have my bar again, you know, or yeah, <laughs> like whatever sure. item it is. Um, so yeah, so I'm excited about that. And now you're having a place custom built to your specifications. Pretty much, it was one of those, you know, one of the things where you could kind of pick certain things. But it was already pretty far along in the process, so it wasn't like we got to go. You know, we want the room to be exactly this big, but you know, we got to pick like paint colors and countertop materials and things like that. So um, and room yeah, for and- how many beagles? We have room for all three of our dogs. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, and and we were actually pretty excited because during this nine months, we haven't really been able to foster uh, just because we're living in other people's homes. So and, you know, with our dogs, that's one thing because we know they're trained and all that stuff. But with you know stray dogs off the street, you never know what you're getting. So we're really excited to be able to start fostering again because that's something we've definitely really missed. So um, I would say 90% of the time we'll have four dogs in the new house, but only three of them will be ours. <laughs> wow. Dog lovers only, right? Must love yeah. dogs. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Well, congrats on all the you know life changes. It's pretty exciting stuff. You're going to plant some roots and uh, you know start doing a job that you seem to be just made to do. Yeah, I'm super excited about <laughs> it's so it. So yeah. up your alley, like more than anything. So. Yeah, so I left. You know, when I went to Las Vegas, I left. I was working at a brewery, mm-hmm. uh, and I left that job. Uh, and what brought me back to North Carolina was an opportunity to work at a distillery. So I love my beer. I love my whiskey. It's like the perfect combination. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah I'm excited about it. Well, that's amazing. So what is going on with TPE these days? Before we get to strategy. I want to hear what's going on because it seems like everybody, uh, all the founders of TPE have all these other projects, including dogs and children that they're dealing <laughs> yeah. with. So uh, what, how's the website going and what's happening lately? Yeah, so everything's been really good. It's, um, you know, it's um, you know a more challenging time than it's probably ever been for a bunch of reasons, including what you just said, which is, you know, we're all almost 10 years older now since we started the company. We all have... Kid, well, not all of us. Mark's still living the single life dream, but um, <laughs> you know, many of us have kids and other you know jobs and stuff that have come up and, and things like that. But um, you know, we're really proud that TV has continued to to be a thing. I mean, we've seen a lot of poker training sites come and go. Many of them were way, way bigger than TPE at one point, um, and they couldn't survive, but somehow we managed to. So we're excited about that, and I think it's just a testament to, A, our community, because the people who are our members um, are just awesome, uh, huge supporters and and great folks. Um, But, you know, obviously also to the the pros making the videos. I mean, we got uh, got series running right now from Andrew Brokus, Assassinato, uh, and we just finished up series from Daryl Jace and Colin Moshman. So, I mean, those are like four, you know, super well-respected A-list. poker players and coaches. So yeah, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, I think the the value is still there. There's tons of great content, and as we always talk about, like this game just continues to change so fast. So it's like, you know, if yeah. you were good two years ago, you but you haven't kept studying, you're probably not as good now. So um, yeah, yeah, so if anybody anybody wants to check it out, just head over to tournamentpokeredge.com. Fantastic. All right, well, let's get into some strategy here. Uh, you've been talking about how the game has been changing, and uh, well, I want to start with your hand. So, um, yeah, you had sent me a hand earlier. I did get a chance to uh, glance at it, but why don't you talk us through uh, what this, what tournament is this hand from? So this was a um, a series on America's Card Room called OSS, uh, which is kind of, you know, for those of people who play in America, they probably know what that is. But if you play on Poker Stars, it's sort of like their scoop uh, or their W coop or whatever. Not as big of buy-ins and as big of prize pools, but similar sort of thing. And um, this was an 80K guaranteed which I actually tried to figure out what the buy-in was for it, and I couldn't. But I'm guessing based on that guarantee that it was a $55 buy-in tournament. Okay. It could, it could have been a 33. It could have been a 109. But I'm guessing a 55. <laughs> but those are the levels that they usually have. It couldn't have been $80. No. Yeah. All their stuff are, are sort of it's like either in tiers. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mentioned to Jason in a recent episode that uh, I have attempted to play on. Uh, ACR a few times and I just I get killed. I'm I, I'm just such a fish on that site. I don't know. I can't win on that site. I, it's a tough it, yeah. It's a tough site, especially now because their guarantees have gotten good enough that yeah. a lot of like euros and stuff are starting to play the the, the bigger guaranteed tournaments. Um, so it's not easy competition, which I actually enjoy. Like I know a lot of people who play on other sites because there's more fish. Um, I, well, not only that. I mean, I'm part of ACR Stormers too, so I, you know, I have some sort of obligation to play on the site. But I don't play for a living, so I don't necessarily look for the softest <laughs> tournaments, right. which I know is like sort of backwards. Um, I, I look for like the most fun tournaments, and their structures are really amazing, and you get to play against really good players. And I actually enjoy that part of it, even if I'm losing some EV because of it. Right, because then it brings up hands that you can discuss, like the one we're about to, to discuss here. Uh, where you have interesting spots where maybe against uh, lesser competition you won't even get into these spots because it's just easier to beat bad players. Yeah. So, yeah, right. like as, as an example, like I, this is kind of funny actually. So since I've moved to Aberdeen, um, there was a former TPE member who uh, lives in this town. It's a very, very small town. I think there's maybe 3,000 people to live here or something. Um, but there's a little bar league game, and he runs this bar league game. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm sitting here in this small town. I don't have anything else to do. I'm going to go play in this bar league. And I've gone twice, and I've taken first place twice. <laughs> sick brag. <laughs> sick brag. I beat the bar league twice. You're the king of the bar league. <laughs> yeah. But I've, I've tweeted about the fact that it's, like, so much fun because it's, like, so pure. You know, it's, like, I don't know if there's a, a purer form of poker than the bar league. You know, it's, like a 60-year-old dude and, like, a 40-year-old woman and, like, a 22-year-old kid. And, like, there's all, all these people, and everybody's just having fun. You know, there's no, like, pressure. There's no stress. It's just like, ah, this is so nice. And what do you win for first place in that bar league? A $25 gift card to that bar. <laughs> Which, you know. That's great. That is great. It's yeah. like trivia night or something. It's yeah, great. exactly. Uh, so my point is, you know, and, and we can kind of, I guess, maybe talk about this as we get to the end of this hand. Uh, this hand, I think I would do a very different thing at the end 
I don't want to give too much away before we get into it. I would do right. something very different in that bar league right. than I than I would do on online or in the World Series event or something. So well, to me, poker's about adjustments, and uh, obviously, who who is my opponent? What is the prize? Uh, what's the situation in the tournament? All the different factors that we have to consider. That's what makes poker interesting. I mean, if you did the same thing in all situations and you'd play an online hand from an eighty thousand dollar guaranteed tournament uh the same way as you would at a at a bar league where you, you win a 25 five dollar gift card <laughs> you know of course yeah. you're going to have adjustments because you just you have to give your opponents credit for being able to make plays online that they wouldn't be able to make in a in a bar league situation right although i'm sure there's probably one or two decent players in the bar league i mean you're there so you can't yeah. be the only person who has a clue Right. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just a matter of figuring out which ones are those people and which ones are the ones who like, you know, because th- sometimes there's guys who they're, who they were just sitting at the bar and they're going, oh, what's that? And somebody yeah. says, oh, they do they do this poker thing every Wednesday or whatever. And he's like, oh, I want to play. Yeah, <laughs> why know? not? Count me in. How do I play? <laughs> yeah. How much is the buy-in? Yeah, gotta uh, love zero? it. Zero. Yeah. Oh, then definitely so, count me in. <laughs> yeah. Free roll. Yeah. So, all right. So we're playing in this eighty. 80th... Now, do you know about? So the blinds are twenty. 20- 525 and 1050 <laughs> with an ante of 130. So this is like a math problem at that point. Like, <laughs> yeah. what are we doing? Here? Yeah, it's a very odd – like, some of these tournaments that they run have, like I said, in my mind, very good structures because they're very slow. So, like, honestly, in this tournament, the next level might have been 600, 1200. <laughs> like, it, it moves up really slow. Right. Um, so you, right. Plenty, you have all the time in the world to, like – accumulate chips and make moves and stuff um so yeah so we're at 525 1050 and i believe we would have been in the money by this point oh okay so um, that yeah that was my next question how far deep into this tournament are we all right so if we're already in the money um do you think your stack is around average you you have about 50,000 in your stack what do we have exactly we have 50,336 yeah. Yeah. This is one of the this is one of the challenges of pulling your hand from your HUD is you just don't know all the details. Like you know, you can mark a hand as as you know, a hand for review, but you don't know you don't you don't always know where we in the money, um, how far from the money, how far into the money, how is there a pay jump coming up? You know, there's a lot of sort of factors that we don't have. Right. Um But looking but, at the other stacks of the table, you appear to have the fourth biggest stack, so you might have around an average stack. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Maybe maybe slightly above average because only because the stacks who are shorter than us are in some cases significantly shorter. You know, there's okay. a guy at sixteen guys, so we might be a little above average or at average. All right. So yeah, and I think you know the listeners will understand why I'm asking so many questions because this is going to be a, a pretty interesting hand, I think. Yeah. All right. And so, it's, it's worth mentioning, too, that the villain has almost the same stack as us. He has 1K more than us. So effective stacks you know, are right around 50K. Right. So spoiler alert, there's going to be one villain. villain. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> All right. So three folds to uh, Derek, Killing Bird. And so you're in the low jack, if I'm doing this right. Uh, yeah. That would be correct, yeah. Yeah, so you're in the low jack, and you're holding ace-queen offsuit. And yep. you raised to twenty nine forty eight, almost three times the big blind. Is this your standard open, or are there reasons why you would make it so big? It is not my standard open. Um, 
it's a little it's definitely bigger than I would normally make it here. I think I tend to go 2.1, 2.25 somewhere in that here. I almost I almost never min raise like an exact min raise. I I tend to type out my raises, so even if we're at like 501k, I'll make it 2099 or something. Right. It's just something. It's to... it's yeah, it's my I don't I don't I don't know if there's even a strategy reason to it. It's something I've been doing for like eight years, and I've just never changed it. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I would definitely normally min-raise here. And I don't know why I went so big here. The only thing I might – the only reason I – when I was looking at this hand on my head, the only reason I could come up with that I might have done this uh, is that the guy immediately to my left has only been at the table for six hands, and he's three-bet three of them. Oh, wow. Okay. Um. So he doesn't become a factor in this hand. But I, when I looked at this, I was like, I wonder if I did it because this guy had, you know, little, literally three out of six times has three bet the opener um, in the short time he's been here. So maybe I'm trying to avoid a three bet by making this a little bit bigger. Um, okay. Because I, I see the logic there. But honestly, Derek, I don't mind getting three bet by a guy that loves to three bet when I have ace queen. Yeah, right? that's actually a fair point. come back over the top with a – with a four bet with ace queen against a guy that is like a three betting problem. Yeah. <laughs> He's no. addicted to three betting. So yeah, that's, that's great that's, against his range. Yeah. That's definitely a fair point. I, and, and, I, and again, I don't know if that was my reasoning. It was just the only thing I could come up with. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's also possible that I meant to type 2248 or something. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, right. But I, I definitely, I, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I don't, lo- I don't like my sizing here. I'll say that much. I, I, I think it's just, it's kind of unnecessarily big. Um, okay. Well, the big blind has 19,000. So one possible explanation, another possible explanation for your bet size is uh, it makes it hard for him to just call. It harder. Yeah, it's harder to flat from out of the big blind when it, you're going to have to put in almost 3K of your 19K. So at that point, it might just he might look at it more as a shove fold mm-hmm. situation and – Obviously, we want him to shove so we can call, because again, I think Ace Queen is a pretty strong hand for that for that spot. Um, putting some numbers on this, uh, there's 2,700 in the pot ish, and we have about 50k. So our M is right around 19, and we have 49 big blinds, right? Yeah. So looking at that way, you're putting in three of your 49 big blinds, or almost three. Uh, but, you know, we really need to play the effective stacks and all things being equal, your most likely competitor for this pot is this is the big blind just because he's always getting the best price to call you. Um, I mean, obviously, all things are not equal. For example, the player to your immediate left seems to have a three betting problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he might be more likely <laughs> in this situation. Uh, but, yeah, I, I definitely one thing that stuck out to me as I first took a look at this one was I just felt the opening bet was uh, unusually large. But I don't really mind occasionally putting in a 3x just to mix up your play. And if you like to randomize your bet sizing, uh, ace-queen is perfectly fine to do mm-hmm. that with. You don't really hate taking it down, obviously. Sure, yeah. You know, it's just ace-queen. Yeah, and I think, too, like there might be some value here, too, to the fact that if we do, if we are going to play this as a four bet, ten three bets. Um, maybe by going a little bigger, we force their three bet to be a little bit bigger, which allows us to just jam as opposed to sort of, you know, without it being an unusually sized 
four bet. It would probably still be pretty big. Like, I don't know, we, if we make it roughly 3K and somebody makes it like 8,500 or something, it's not quite as weird to shove 40K as, a, you know, as if we made it two and somebody made it 4.5 or something. Right. Um, well, what, what I like to look at, you know, I, I tend to look at things mathematically uh, first. And, you know, by the time somebody else puts it, well, by the time we put in our 3K, there's uh, 6,700 6, in the pot. And if the guy that likes to three bet chooses to three bet and say he puts in like what, 80, 85, right? So mm-hmm. 67 plus 85 is 15, two. And then if we shove over the top of him, he's only got 44 to start the hand. So we'll be laying about a little less than three times the pot which is totally fine with ace queen against a player who does that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's even more attractive if somebody flats his three bet, I think. Right. Which could happen as well, especially if they've all noticed, as you have, that he three bets too often or it yeah. just seems to be on a three betting rampage at this point. So, uh, yeah, I like all of that. And, and I think opening to this larger amount makes that play much more attractive. Mm-hmm. if that's what we're planning to do. Which, again, yeah. you know, you're looking back at a hand you played a while back, don't remember exactly every single thing, but you do remember that this was that table with the guy to your left that kept three-betting everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, cool. Anyway, um, that happens, and the player we were concerned about doesn't get involved, but the button, who, as you mentioned, has the same stack size as we do, he's just got about a 1,000 more, uh, than we do, which is essentially the same stack, uh, calls. And everyone else gets out of the way. And we see a flop heads up with, uh, well, we just did this, 8,700 in the pot. Yes. 8,641 to be exact. <laughs> I love online <laughs> poker. <laughs> I know, isn't it great? <laughs> <laughs> it comes 1066 rainbow. And the action is on you. What did you do and why? So I went ahead and bet uh, twenty nine ninety nine again, my usual random, uh, not random, but odd size betting. Um, but uh, let's call it three k into eighty six hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think this is a good board for us. He his range, I think, can be pretty wide. I mean, he can have a bunch of pairs, which I think are probably going to call here. Like, he can have twos through fives. He can have sevens through nines. Um, he can even, I mean, obviously he can have tens and stuff too. Um, I think he would have three bet his over pairs. So I like to think my over cards are live. We have a backdoor straight draw as well. Um, but, he, you know, he's also going to have a ton of, like, king, queen, king, jack, ace, five, you know, hands like these that are going to fold. So I think he's going to fold here enough um, that it's worth putting in a, a C bet here. Yeah, so it's just a standard continuation bet spot. Um, what I guess I would base my decision on whether to check and bluff catch or or bet is really just who is this opponent. And I don't know how much information you have about him, given that this hand was played a while back. I mean, do you have any HUD stats on this guy? Are there any anything you could tell us about your opponent? A little bit. So he's running 27-21, which means he's playing 27% of pots. 
um, and raising 21%. So he's pretty fairly active, but th- those are pretty reggy numbers. You know, that's not that's not a nit, but it's also not a loose cannon. Like he's playing pretty reggy numbers. Um, the only number that I think probably is of interest here. Now, first I should mention this, these numbers are based on 33 hands, so we haven't played a lot of hands with him at this point. Yeah. Um, but the only number that's maybe of interest here is that his fold to C bet percentage is zero. Um, oh. But it's also worth mentioning that's only three hands. Right. It's that, 33 so he, hands he, he, total. Yeah. So he's faced he's faced to C bet three times. And he called um, all three. And times. all three he called. Um, but. As we mentioned, we also have that's limited information because if we were actually at this table live, we might think back and go, oh, but all three of those he had, you know, he flopped up pair or whatever, you know. Um, so we don't know what that number means necessarily. Um, but it doesn't seem like he likes to fold the C bets. Now, I guess the question that that brings up is, is that good or bad for us in this situation on this board? <laughs> right. Well, so our range versus his range. If he's willing to call you down with worse, then it's fine. But the problem is you are going to be out of position on future streets. And how hard are you going to cling to your ace high if you don't improve against a guy that floats a lot? Or does he? I mean, like you say, it's only 33 hands, so maybe he doesn't really float a lot. He may have just had it three times that somebody C-bet into him. But, you know, given this limited information – uh, what we can glean from it, uh, you know, it's it's very uh, – I wouldn't put too much stock in 33 hands worth of HUD. That yeah. said, it's not nothing. It's right, not, right. It's not zero. It's the opposite of zero. It's 100. So he's always called every time he's had an opportunity to call a C-bet. He's taken that opportunity. And now in this hand, he makes it four for four with another call. Um, I think knowing that I still would probably, uh, at least consider C betting, but, uh, if it, to me, the stat I would want to know is how often does he bet the flop when checked to, mm-hmm. because I like using this hand as a bluff catcher. Uh, you want to have some checks in your range that are check calls. Right, you don't want to Agreed. always, yeah, you don't want to always see bet your strong hands and always check fold your nothing hands. And this hand is good enough to me, uh, especially you know, depending how aggressive he is, how likely he is to bet if I check. I think we might make more money checking, and maybe even calling all the way down with this ace queen, depending again on his level of aggression. So. Right. I think if we had, let's just say we had a thousand hands on this guy. Yeah. And and he never folded to C-bets, or at least a very high percentage of the time did not fold to C-bets. Then I think I kind of like checking and calling. And, you know, we can obviously do some reevaluating on the turn and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but small I think a sample. Yeah. yeah. I think with this small sample in a, in a pure vacuum, I think I just like C-betting, trying to take it down. We don't have to invest a whole lot of money um, to do that. So, and you definitely gave yourself a good price. You bet just more than a little more than one third of the pot. So I think that's fine uh, to you know to try to take it down. And if you don't take it down, it's not the end of the world because there's a decent chance that Ace Queen is still good anyway, even when he calls. Yeah. So I'm good with it. All right. So what happens on the turn? 
So on the turn, we get the Ace of Spades. Um, so we make top pair with a queen kicker. Uh, well, I guess we could say two pair. Um, there's 14.6K in the pot. Uh, it does bring in a backdoor flush draw. It's the Ace of Spades. So now we have the Ace and the Ten of Spades on the board. Um, and we kind of have to decide now if we are going to continue to bet. This I think I think this kind of brings back the same conversation, which is if we know this guy has called many double barrels, then I think double barreling here is awesome. Um, if he's a guy who floats but gives up to future aggression, then maybe we want to check and give him a chance to do something. I just don't think we have enough numbers here to determine that. So I opted to go for a bet, but I made it quite small in hopes of get, continuing to get value from things like nines or eights or any of those kind of hands. Or, you know, if he has 10 jack, uh, queen 10, king 10, hands like that, I think he continues with those a decent amount of the time if we give him the right price. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of that? sort of thinking uh, of going small here to try to continue to get value. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, logically, it makes sense. Um, when I suspect, however, when I suspect that my opponent uh, is a guy that likes to float, uh, you know, uh, the reason why a lot of us float in position is to see what the other guy does on the turn, and if he shows weakness on the turn, we pounce. So mm -hmm. you might make more money uh, checking to him now that you've paired up, uh, kind of depending on what he thinks of your range, like how right. hard do you, does he think that ace hit you? Um, we might be able to – actually, when I'm out of position, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I think I make more money than the average player checking and calling yeah. from, from out of position. I, I feel like I use that tool or that trick – <laughs> you could call it, uh, more often because we're kind of in an aggressive mode right now. You said earlier how poker itself keeps uh, changing, and I feel like right now people just want to bet, bet, bet. And I feel like checking and and calling, because people are so aggressive nowadays, is more profitable than it used to be. Um, mm -hmm. it used yeah. to be if the ace didn't hit my opponent in the old days – he would never bet it. <laughs> right? right. Why would I bet? I'm scared of the ace, you know. Yeah. But now they think because I checked, I'm scared of the ace, and I might be able to pick up an extra bet on the turn by checking. In other words, I don't know how much action you can get on this small bet. Like you say, yeah, if he has a 10, you could probably get a little something. Mm -hmm. But I think that he's probably going to give up with most of his range. Yeah, and we can also think about future streets, right? Like if, if, if we think he'll call here with something like 10-jack – well, he's not going to call the river when we bet again. So maybe, you know, if we can only get one street and we might not even get one more, like, because he might fold here, um, is it better to just check, A, give him a chance to bluff, and B, give us a higher percentage chance of getting a call on the river uh, because we checked the turn and he, he kind of just sees that as weak or whatever. Um, so I think spots like this are, are super villain-dependent. Um, yeah, and I know listeners know. love when we say that, but it's true. It's villain dependent. Yeah, it just always is. And since we don't have the villain here to interview him and ask him what we <laughs> right. should do, uh, we have to kind of piece it together. It's almost like an incomplete puzzle. We're missing a few pieces of the puzzle, but we have to try to put it together anyway, right? Yeah. So, and I think I think one thing to consider, you know, is what does he think we 
would do on this turn with our entire range. Because if, if I'm a really good player and I'm Dancing Banana, who's our villain in this hand. Um, great name, by the way. <laughs> it is a great name. <laughs> um, as soon as that ace hits, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going I'm to do one of two things, depending on what my hand is. I'm going to go, oh, shoot. You know, that kills, you know, I do want to see that card. Or I'm going to go. Well, that's a perfect bluff card for the for this guy for Killing Bird. If you know, if he did have air here, like this is a perfect card for him to continue to bluff on. So I'm going to put a raise in and try to take this down. Um, but that again, it just depends so much on who this villain is. Like if you know, if you're at the World Series main event and you just finished playing nine hours with this guy, you might know what you, you know, know. You might yeah. know what he's capable of. But we don't. So we played 33 hands with him online, and so we have to kind of obviously it's a game of incomplete information. In this case, our our information is very, very incomplete. Um, but something you just said just kind of struck me. Uh, when you make this bet, are you actually hoping to get raised? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I was just about to say, it depends on who it is against. Right, right. You know, right. There, there's some people where you're like, please raise me. I, I like I, I've seen you pull this move seven times today. Please raise me. Um, in this case, I don't think so. Um, because it's not going to be many bluffs unless he floated something like King Queen of Spades or something. There's not a ton of bluffs that he's going to be doing that with. The only hand that like would that we crush would be like Ace Jack. Um, you know, if he decided to peel on with Ace King, he's got better speed. If he you know flopped a set or quads or it had a six, well, we're crushed. Um, and is Ace so, Jack? Yeah, is, I mean, is Ace Jack going to raise? I don't think Ace Jack is going to raise. I don't think so. And that's yeah. And that's gonna and like that's what I'm kind of saying. Like that's probably the only thing. Ace ten, I guess, is a possibility. But we obviously blocked that. Um, and Ace so, yeah, is, I don't. I don't. Ace think, ten is winning, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think we're stoked to see a raise. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, assuming Dancing Banana is competent. And that he's the type that might float the flop, hoping to bluff raise the turn. Yeah. Maybe it's better to check here. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and it brings up the question too. Like, we're kind of inviting a raise with our small sizing. Yeah, but if we don't think he'll raise as a bluff very often, then maybe that's okay. <laughs> you know, but then we have to be willing to go with it if, if we're using that philosophy. Um, and I don't know that I'm ready to go with this hand for 50, you know, 50 big blinds a piece. Yeah, right. It's, uh, you probably have the best hand, but, uh, how big do we want this pot to get? You already bet the flop. I feel like you have a classic, um, two streets of value kind of top pair hand now on the turn. Yeah. And I think something you said before, I wanted to kind of delve into a little bit more checking the turn it gives you an advantage on the river because river bets are much easier to call, especially because your turn on the check, uh, your check on the turn shows a certain amount of weakness. So your opponent might give you a curious call with like a, just a pair of tens or something here. Um, also, when you bet the turn, your opponent has to worry about what uh, Sklansky calls the hammer of future betting, mm-hmm. which is, is he also going to bet again on the river? And that makes it really hard for him to cling on with a 10, which is what we want him to have when we bet again. So for all those reasons, I think checking the turn, uh, it helps you avoid getting bluff raised if that's in our opponent's arsenal. 
and it also kind of helps you control the pot size and makes it easier to get value when your hand is good on the river where it might be harder for your opponent to fold when he has something like you said, like a jack-10 yeah. type of hand. I mean, obviously we're going to kick ourselves when he has a worse ace, but that's about sure. it, right? Yeah, I, I think I like – I think you make a good point. I think I like checking here actually. And I think if we're not going to check, since we are kind of thinking we're only going to get one more street, whether it's here or on the river, I think if we are going to bet, we might as well just bet a little bigger. I don't think we want to, like, you know, pot it or anything. But maybe we go, like, 8K instead of 5,200, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it, I agree. Like I said, if we think we're just getting one more, then let's, you know, let's just get a little bit more out of it now. And then, I mean, hey, if, if we spike an ace on the river or something, then great. We can go for a bunch. But, um yeah, but I, but I think I lean towards a check for all the reasons we just discussed. Okay, great. So, in fact, you did bet, and you, you bet uh, uh, one-third of the pot, right? Yeah, 52-25, which is just a little over a third. Like, right, and then yeah. Dancing Banana calls you again. <laughs> so now the pot is at 25K, and the river is a 10 the Ten of Diamonds, which does not complete the flush, but we've been sitting here hoping this guy has a ten the entire time. <laughs> yeah. And, and now, now and now we're really, really hoping he doesn't have a ten. <laughs> right. So for the final board of six a, a ten, six, six, ace, ten. So we have a double paired board. Uh all right, so how should we approach this? There's twenty five hundred 25,000, rather, in the pot. Yeah, we have 39K behind. Right, yeah. So uh, we still have, the yeah. Villain has about the same. About the same, yeah. So I don't. I think there's a bunch of things we can do here. I think. I want to. Maybe it's. Well, no, I was going to say maybe it's better to say what I did before just to make it a little easier, but let's not do that yet. So I think we can bet as a blocker essentially here sort of a blocker slash value bet um maybe like 10k or 9k or something yeah maybe even a little less actually because he has to fear the 10 himself you bet True. all three streets right yeah starting oh, with yeah. obviously a 10 high board yeah. so yeah i think you're right we yeah we could go even smaller maybe like eight and i think we'll you know we'll find out relatively quickly if he has something now it's kind of cool because if he like shoves or something then we can probably comfortably fold um but we can also still get called by a worse ace absolutely that, i mean if what? you bet small if you bet like eight thousand into twenty five thousand here uh and and our opponent has the ace jack or some such ace i think he can't fold and, and then you get value for your hand i yep. i also don't think he can raise you with a six. Agreed. Yeah. So yeah, when not, the, raised, not the way we've played it. Exactly. Yeah. When we're raised, it's a 10 or quads or something. Right. right? So, yeah. A's 10. When, you, when we get raised, we are always beat. I mean, if he's that good that he can bluff raise on this board, good for you, buddy. Because you are pretty much representing a 10 the whole way. Yeah. Or yeah. better, obviously. I mean, you open right. the flop, so. Um, I mean, the other alternative is to check and call, check, you know, check, check to get him to bluff. 
Um, or we check and decide that if he bets, he has it and we fold. I yeah. think I like betting um, for you know for all the reasons we just talked about. We get called by worse aces, and we also allow ourselves to commit a smaller amount than we might have to call, you know, to hero call on the river. If, you know, if he bets 12 and we're planning to call, maybe I'd rather bet eight. <laughs> right. And that's the classic blocking bet, right? You're, yeah. you're trying to set the price for the river when you're out of position with your defensive blocking bet, knowing that it's so impossible for your opponent to bluff raise the river on right. this board. When you got raised, you're beat. So you might as well tell him how much you're willing to pay. If you're planning to check and call 10000 then you might as well go ahead and bet, bet 8000 The only time you lose money is when your opponent wouldn't have bet anything on the river and has you beat. Right. Which I can't think of too many hands that won't bet if you check that have us beat. Agreed. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I really like a defensive blocking bet here. For, for that reason. Um, so what did you do? So we checked. And I'm really disappointed in myself for checking. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, it, it's like, I mean, I know these things are always easier in hindsight. Or at least of course. They're not easy, but they're easier. Um, to me, I think this is, this is one of the clearer river spots I've seen to make a small blocking bet on the river. Um, and because we didn't, uh, the villain... Well, maybe not because we didn't, but we didn't. <laughs> and the villain bet's almost 16K, 15.75K. So it's a big bet. Um, but it's not so big that it doesn't scream value to me. <laughs> it's about 60% of the pot. Yeah, like if, if you were to ask me, hey, what's the normal size of like a, a really valuey bet? I would say oh, like 60% of the pot. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a perfect size whether he's bluffing or not. Right. Um, so, you know, we're in a really awkward spot here. We have to put 15, oh, well, let's call it 16 of our 40K remaining chips uh, in the pod if we want to call here. And I can't think of any bluffs. Um, now, the question is, is he ever betting like ace-jack for value or ace-nine? You know, But I, I just don't, I don't think he has those very often. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, we know where two of the aces are already. Um, so it's hard for him to have an ace. It's also hard for him to have a 10 or a 6 for that matter. Um, sure. Just because we are aware of the location of some of those cards. But, uh, you know, even beyond that, it's just it comes down to who is this guy? Would he check? Uh, you know, I could think of some hands that uh, might call the flop but would have folded the turn. So I'm like you. I'm not finding any bluffs. Yeah. And there's not even really any draws, um, with the exception, like I said, of maybe a floated king queen of spades or king jack of spades or something like that. Right. But it's Those not like it's picked not... up a gut shot on the turn. Yeah. But had nothing on the flop other than two over cards. Right. So and unless again, they just literally on a pure float. But there's yeah. no like you know, it's not like the board was seven, eight, ten with two hearts or something, you know? <laughs> where right. where they could have all these like missed flush draws or straight draws or combo draws that they might turn into a bluff now. I just had a really hard time finding a bluff here. Yeah, as played, I would I would fold, but I think you would have been much happier had you bet the river. Yeah, which I know probably sounds counterintuitive maybe to some listeners, 
they might be like, but wait, he saved himself 8K. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You know, because we didn't, we didn't bet. But, uh, so, yeah, so we do end up folding. Um, so, we, yeah, you know, you could look at it as we saved 8K, but you could also say, did we cost ourselves, you know, 32K because he had a, he actually did bluff here and we could have got called by, or not really bluffed, but he made a turn, he might have turned a hand into a bluff like an ace jack or something. Um, that we yeah, all buy. So I think you can rest easy um, now that he bet this much in this situation. I mean, you are supposed to get bluffed some some of the time, um, and then maybe this is just one hand where you happen to get outplayed. But since both of us have a lot of experience playing cards and we are having trouble coming up with many bluffs that could even be in his range, that means that he either took some very strange line on some hand with very low equity in hopes that you would eventually check so he could steal the pot. Or he made an unlikely value bet, thin value bet. But I think even if he did have something like ace-jack, his sizing would probably usually be smaller. I, I think point. it's a very Good strange point. bet for him to make with an ace-jack type of hand. So, yeah, again, I'm really at a loss to find many bluffs in his range, and I think, therefore, it's, it's a fold that I would be comfortable with. And if he turns over like a five four diamonds, you know what? Good hand, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he deserves it in that case. Yeah, you got it. You got <laughs> it. You you outplayed me, and good for you. You hoped that I would eventually check. You paid a lot of money to to see if I did, and then when I did, you pounced and got me to fold ace queen in a in a awkward spot for that particular hand. So yeah, yeah, yeah I so don't think it's I'm, bad. I'm I'm happy with the fold. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not happy with checking the river, but I'm happy that we found the fold and yeah, um, and yeah. So I, yeah, I thought it was an interesting spot, and I think it it's is. a spot that you know we kind of a lot of times we find ourselves in these. Well, I won't say a lot. Sometimes we find ourselves in these positions where we feel like we're in the driver's seat the whole way, <laughs> and then something happens where we go, oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. I okay. really think I, I really think the the street that I like least though is the turn. I really prefer a check on the turn. Yeah, yeah. good point. Keep this pot a little smaller, and then. Even if this awful card comes on the end, maybe you could check the river again mm-hmm. and see if he wants to take a stab at the pot, and then he will have more bluffs. The problem is he doesn't have that many bluffs when he calls you on the turn. So the river's that's, a little easier yeah. to play. It's easier to call the river when you check the turn. Yeah, that's actually a really, really good point. Thanks. I've been trying to that. make good points. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, on a, I'm on a mission to try to make some more good points on the podcast. Well, so. <laughs> mark, this day, mark this day down in history. December 5th, like, you made a good point. <laughs> yeah, and I got I got uh, props from, from the boss, so I appreciate that go. too. <laughs> All right, do you have time to do mine? I sure do. Okay, so I played in the uh, $1,700 Planet Hollywood Circuit main event in Las Vegas a few weeks ago. And um, I was at a pretty average table. Like, I didn't feel like fist pump. Yeah, what a great table. But I also wasn't like, wow, who are these killers? So it was kind of a mixed bag type of table. Um, We're about halfway through day one. And the blinds are 250, 500 with a 75 ante paid by all the players. Uh, so there's 14.25 in the pot, and we have 24,600 down from our starting stack of 30K. So things are not going particularly well, but it's kind of a slow structure, and we're not 
exactly in, you know, panic mode or whatever. Um, our M is 17. We have, what is that, 49 big blinds. So, uh, however you like to count the pot. The player in third position opens to 1,200. Now, he's uh, he, he joined our table very recently, like in the last few minutes. But I kind of have a read on him just based on, um, you know, just getting a feel for somebody live. He's about 30-ish. Um, Asian guy. He seems like he's very thoughtful, serious player. Almost appears to me to be stressed out about playing in this tournament. I don't know. Maybe he won a satellite to get into it. Maybe he's 100,000 in markup. <laughs> uh, maybe he just moved to Vegas and this is his first big shot that he's taking. Something like that. But he doesn't strike me. He strikes me like he, I get a feel from him that he's trying not to screw up. Mm-hmm. All right. Not that he's nitty or terrified, but that he just really, really, really wants to play well. Yeah. Okay. So just to give you a feel for him, um, on my right, on the button, I'm in the big blind. So player two to my right is like such a typical uh, character that you might encounter in Vegas. Um, he's an older guy, like probably late 50s, early 60s. He's got a Bellagio hat, which I think when you turn 50 in Las Vegas, you get a Bellagio hat. <laughs> like so you just true. You get the hat. It matches with your members-only jacket and your comfortable sneakers, and you drink coffee all day, and you just you wear that hat, and you kind of, you know, you want to make sure everybody knows that even though you're old, you you could play cards, okay? Yeah. You little whippersnappers, <laughs> all right? So he's got that vibe to him. Uh, oh, yeah, the first player has about 30K because I think he may have just even just bought into the tournament. Okay. Um, I'm not sure about that, but I got that vibe like he just got here and he's ready to, to play his best game of his life. And now this caller has been with us here for a while, and he's actually got everybody covered. He's running good, and he's got about 48K. Uh, now we're in the big blind, the small blind folds, and we're in the big blind with uh, Jack of Hearts, Nine of Clubs. It would cost me 700 more to call. Um, I don't think folding is an option. It's just we're, we have a playable yeah. hand. We're getting a great price, especially with the collar on the button. Yeah, I think with that price this deep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call here yeah. virtually 100% of the time. Yeah, and I mean maybe once in a while you could do something crazy and, and three bet, but – I don't know. I hate to turn Jack Nine into a bluff. I like this hand. I don't want to take it down now. I want to see a flop with this hand. Mm-hmm. So I just called seven hundred. I think that's pretty uncontroversial. But don't worry, things are about to get <laughs> controversial. <laughs> so uh, now there's forty five twenty five in the pot, and the flop comes Ace, Seven, Deuce, all diamonds. And we have no diamond. We have no diamond. We have the jack of hearts and nine of clubs. And I see I, trouble. I see trouble on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> so my plan was to check and fold because I couldn't think of a worse flop for my hand. I check. The original better puts in 1500 and the old guy in the Bellagio hat folds. And now it's up to me. 
All right. I just said my plan was to check it. <laughs> Something uh, told me to raise. And the reason why is I just think this is a really good board for me to bluff. And at this point, my hand doesn't matter at all. I mean, obviously it matters a little. It would be nice to have a diamond when I make this play. But I, I made it 4,000, and I thought that my opponent would only call with a really good diamond, something like king-queen offsuit with the king of diamonds, mm. or uh, a strong ace, a hand like ace-queen with or without a diamond. Agreed. And so I think because he bets so small, and because I had to read that he was trying to play well, I didn't think it was likely he had any of those hands. I thought uh, a hand like ace-queen with no diamond, for example, right? Right. Would want to bet more to protect and not let anyone who's drawing to a flush get there too cheaply. And only betting a third of the pot, offering four to one, is the perfect odds for me to see if I can hit my flush. And I get the feeling this guy knows enough about poker to know that. Right. And so I just didn't think that he had a very large value range. Yeah, it's a really good point. I Because you do want to obviously protect against draws if you don't have it here. So I would – his bet sizing would lead me to say he doesn't have a big draw. He doesn't have a big ace. So he either – has nothing, or he has it, you know, like five, six of diamonds, or king, queen of diamonds, or something like that. Right, right. Um, because because th those are hands I would probably bet like 1,500 here with. <laughs> or maybe even, I, I could even see going maybe a little smaller, although that might be too obvious. Um, so yeah, I, I actually don't hate your reasoning. I do think it's important to consider what we're going to do when we get, I mean, we know what we're doing if he shoves, right? Or, or raises. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think we have to think about, okay, what do we do if he calls on various cards? You know? Right. Um, so, so, that's I, a, you know. Yeah, that's a great point. So, I mean, I'm, I was kind of talking about it one street at a time, but we can't really think that way. You're right. We can't just raise to 4K and then not have a clue how we're going to handle if he calls, right? If he folds, we win the pot. That's great. If he re-raises, good try, Clayton. You lost, mm -hmm. you know, lost more than you should have in that pot. Whatever. Get on with the next hand. The problem is when he calls, what's the plan? So my thinking was, even though I have nothing, there are a few cards that would improve my hand and that I could continue representing a flush if he calls. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think I would check raise with a small flush, like if I had like a 9-8 of diamonds, or really given the price I was given pre-flop, virtually any two diamonds I could have in my range. So if I flopped Definitely. a flush, I think check raising would make sense. I would also make this play with the king of diamonds in my hand some of the time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if I flopped a good strong flush draw myself. So there are hands that there are cards on the turn that might improve my hand. And with those cards, maybe something like a 10 that would give me a gut shot or an 8 would also give me a gut shot. A jack or a 9 would obviously pair my hand. 
Um, obviously, some of the Jackson nines are diamonds. So is the plan to continue representing a flush even if more diamonds come? What do you think? Right. I think so. Yeah. So obviously, we're talking about if B decides to call. I if think. Calls, right. Yeah. So I think I think we can't just treat this as a a raise to attempt to take down the pot on the flop, like a, a sort of one and done moment. Uh, I think we have to be willing to to do some things on future streets to try to win this pot if we're going to make this move here. We'll talk so, about that a little bit more, would you? Why Why can't we just take a shot right now and then give up if there's any any further action? Why not? Um, I think because we've uh, some of it has to do with the fact uh, or. Or to the description you gave me of the villain, which is he really does not want to make mistakes, um, and maybe is a little bit stressed. You know, maybe it's his first tournament. Who knows? But he seems maybe worried a little. So I think we need to use that information to give him many opportunities to make a mistake, <laughs> right? Or, or you know, it, it, either in his mind or for real. You know, one of the two. Um, and so, like, you know, if he has something like ace king of clubs ace queen off with no diamond things like that i think he's gonna call here because people get sticky with their hands especially top pair type hands where they had a big hand to start um so i think we have to be willing to try to do more things to win this pot for those reasons now there's some people you know if you had described this guy as the tightest rock at the table and when he calls he has it i would take a whole different approach you know, uh, but I just think because of the description, I like the idea of trying to win this on certain, not every turn, not every river. Um, you know, let's say the ace of clubs peels off. I don't know if I like it so much then, because if this guy has all those ace X hands we're talking about, well, now he even loves his hand even more, even though there are three diamonds on the board. Um, and I kind of think the most interesting cards for us to continue to do stuff on would be a diamond. Um, because we're not going to have to go very big to get him to fold a lot of his range. Um, you know, so when he has, I don't know, two black kings, or he has ace king of clubs, or all those kind of things, I mean, if this pot, what the pot's going to be like 1,200, I mean, we can bet like 4K, 3,500 even maybe. <laughs> it's just going to be like, oh, great. I knew that stupid diamond was going to come. <laughs> He's going to fold. Right. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to bluff him off of a lot of his hands when another diamond peels off on the turn. And I agree with you 100% that uh, continuing on another diamond is is profitable. It's a good play. Yeah. Um, now, are there any other cards? Like, Do you agree with me that a 10 or an 8 uh, might also have possibilities as far as uh, continuing the bluff? Yeah, I think that could be cool because, the, you know, the other part of his range that we talked about is things like, you know, just whatever hands with the king of diamonds or a queen of diamonds. Um, and kind of going back to what we talked about before, you know, if this guy's cognizant of not wanting to make mistakes, well, one of the classic mistakes we always talk about is chasing draws, you know. So if, it's, if you know, if, if he's a, a book learner... <laughs> and, and he's not, you know, he's not into chasing. Or he know he knows that chasing draws is a cliche mistake. Well, you know, here's a perfect example, here perfect opportunity to get him to fold his king queen with the king of diamonds, or sure. king queen with the queen of diamonds. 
Um, and it's kind of, you know, it kind of goes back to what we talked about uh, in the last hand, which is I think when we do bet some of those cards you were talking about on the turn, like the eight uh, or I guess the ten, you know, a ten non-diamonds, I think now on the turn we're going to kind of find out because, you, you know, people don't necessarily call two and certainly not very often three bullets with, you know, non-great hands. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I think we're going to find out pretty quick and not for a huge price when we bet this, you know, whatever the turn is, diamond right. or um, or non-diamond. But it is nice to turn some of that equity. Now, if the, if the, if the card was a complete brick non-diamond, I wonder if that means we should slow it down a little. Yeah, I mean, I want to have a give-up range. And yeah. I think that all of the, you know, something like a three of clubs, right? Yeah, is a is a give up card for me. Um, another ace is a give up card. Mm-hmm. Uh, a non diamond queen or something. It, you know, just anything that really doesn't do anything for me at all, I think is fine. We took our shot and now we can give up. But I agree with you that against this player type, it's important to try to give him the opportunity to make the mistake that he's most likely to make, which is folding in spots where he should call. Yeah. Based purely on the read that I have of him, his body language, the way he's been studying everyone so carefully, the way he seems so serious and a little bit uh, worried, maybe in over his head, um, something like that. Maybe he's an online player. He's never played live before. I don't know. But, you know, it's kind of that player profile that makes me want to bluff him. And the only reason why is because he opened the door by betting so small on this yeah. board, on the flop, you know, and let that be a lesson to listeners who might find themselves playing in live tournaments. A lot of us who are like more seasoned live pros, we look for little signs that a pot's available and we try to take it, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is why betting this amount with the nuts would be a great play against me. Um, because I might see that small bet as weakness. Um, so when he called me, I started putting him on a stronger range, but not a nutted range. I think that if he had a king high flush, king queen of diamonds or something, um, he would keep raising and hope to get all in with me because he would, number one, know that he had the nuts and want to get in against another really strong hand. But also because I think players like him worry too much about me having a set and drawing live against his nut flush. Right. So I I think yeah. that I would expect him to usually uh, keep trying to build the pot to my check raise on the flop when he had the actual nuts here. Yeah. Yeah, and I think people like this also get worried about, um, I don't know, back, lack of a better description, like the fish getting off the hook. So if... If you are if you have a strong hand here or a strong draw and he has the nuts, then I think he wants to do something now before another diamond comes and makes you fold, you know. Yeah. Your my, set or whatever. My set, right, yeah. Yeah. So when he continued, my plan was mostly to continue only on any diamond or an eight or a ten. Yeah. So, I like that. And otherwise just check and give up. I took my stab at this and you know, welcome to the table, sir. You just want a nice pot. All right. 12,525, that is the pot size 
heading to the turn, which is the Eight of Clubs. So our board is now Ace of Diamonds, Seven of Diamonds, Deuce of Diamonds, Eight of Clubs. And we have now picked up a straight draw. Not a very good one, but it's a straight draw nonetheless. Uh, so I said that this card would be in my continuing range, and I did continue. I bet 7600 into the 12525 Thoughts on that? I like it, and I like the um, slightly bigger bet sizing here because – you know, it's kind of time now to make this guy fold his king of diamonds or his queen of diamonds like we talked about. Right. And I don't think he's going to do that if we bet, you know, a third or something. So I, I think we have to go a little bit bigger. I like, you know, we're, what, I guess 60%. Um, and it is funny that it's about 60% and we just got done talking about how value 60% looks. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I like this bet sizing a lot. I think it's perfect. Um Cool. Yeah, it's great. Good. Good. I'm glad you think so. This was the spot in this hand that I was most um, concerned about. I felt like my bet sizing might have been a little too big for the situation. Now, I've talked on this podcast before about how when I'm bluffing, I try to get the lowest possible price that will get it done. You know, There's a kind of a sweet spot of mm-hmm. betting the right amount that's going to get the right number of folds, the right percentage of the time, but doesn't over it doesn't cost you too much when he does call. So I thought later that maybe 6,600 would have been enough here on the turn, but you seem to like it. So maybe it's yeah. okay. Yeah. I think I like it. I think once you start creeping down into the sixes or even close to the high fives, right? he's just going to look, especially live because people aren't as good at counting the pots. Yeah. True. Um, and, and stack sizes and stuff. So if it gets too cheap, he's going to look at all those pretty chips in the middle and then he's gonna go. Well, it's only six k more. I got the I got the nut flush draw. If I hit this, I can get all of it. I'll right. call. So I think we right. do want to discourage him a little bit. And it's a cool bet, like I said, because it looks valuey, but it's also big enough to work as a bluff. I think. Sure. Okay. Great. So now, uh, when he called the check raise on the flop, I think it's smart, even before we deal the turn, to try to think about ranging him. And I think, you know, he probably has some king-queen with the king of diamonds or possibly even the queen of diamonds type hands. He also has, you know, aces, like um, ace-king with the with or without the king of diamonds. Mm-hmm. Um, ace-queen with or without the king of diamonds will probably call that bet and then fold to this one, I think. So I have a good amount of bluff targets that would call the check raise on the flop and then fold to additional pressure on the turn. Um, you know, that that range I just described, like, I think any one pair hand would probably have to give up. But I don't expect him to fold ace-king with the king of diamonds, even to 7,600. I think when he calls here, that's what he's going to have a lot. Yeah. Like an ace-king or ace-queen with a diamond. So... Yeah, I would agree. And I think also it's, you know, we were talking earlier about the possibility of him having a made flush. Um, I think we can start to discount that a little bit now. even Well, even more. We, we kind of discounted it on the flop anyway, but I think we can discount it even more now because now we've shown, you know, 
real value or real aggression. Like, and, and we're saying we, you know, if we were bluffing before, well, we got something now. Right. Um, so I really, really think if he had a flush now, he would go ahead and get this in. Yeah. Um, or at least attempt to, you know, I don't know if it's a, if it's an all in or if it's just a, you know, a click back or what it is, but I think he would raise his made flushes. So yeah, I think. So you're saying if, if he calls me here on the turn, you can discount the flush. I think so. Yeah, I agree. So what happened, in fact, was I bet 7,600, and my opponent took quite a while, 90 seconds. Now, when I say 90 seconds, that doesn't sound like a long time, but that's a long time to sit there and think about whether you want to call 7,600. And it felt like a long time. I felt like my opponent was somewhat tortured by my bet and that he was not acting and that he finally called after about a 90-second tank. So at that point, I put him on well, – well, let's, well, let's do it together. Let's range him now that he's called 7,600. You already said when he calls, you don't think he has a flush anymore. Right. So what so does I think he it's, have? Not, I, mean, I mean, I guess sets are possible. We haven't talked a lot about sets as a possibility, but um, I'm going to lean way more towards – Ace X's with or without the diamond. I just don't know if they're going to continue here now without a diamond on the turn. Yeah, it feels like he should be uh, folding like Ace Queen of Spades, right? Or Ace King of Spades. Yeah. I mean, unless he really has a read on me, which is of course possible, and he has been studying me pretty hard. You know, he's just mm. been a real conscientious, like serious player that doesn't want to screw up and so if he has a sense that i'm bluffing then of course he could call with worse but i i think that's kind of unlikely because he just strikes me as someone that's he just he just sat down at the table it's not like he knows what i've been up to prior to this <laughs> <laughs> you know he doesn't have much sense of how i've been playing unless he saw me on tv or something yeah i think the most interesting part here is the fact that you said you know he, he tanked for 90 seconds and then you felt like he wasn't acting so right. i'm trying to think of what hand i mean i've i've tanked many times for 90 seconds and then made a call but it was because i was acting right <laughs> i'm trying to think of what he does this with that he's not where he's not like kind of you know, oh, oh, what do I do? You know, trying to get you to shove on the river or something. Right. And so, it, so, you know, sometimes I can't tell if my opponent is acting or not. Sure. And sometimes it's pretty obvious to me that he is or isn't. In this case, I felt like he – I had a strong read that he, he probably was not acting. Yeah. I would put it on like 80% certainty that he really had to think about whether he should call on the turn. Now, it might be, should I call or raise? But it felt more like, should I call or fold? Right. right. I, yeah, I think so. I, I'm, I just really feel like it's a lot of ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack with the queen-king or jack of diamonds. Or it's something like king-queen with the king of diamonds. I, I just think there's a big diamond in there somewhere. It just feels like it, that, you know, he's, maybe he's helped play the pot. Maybe he's decided if he wants to gamble with his nut flush draw. But it just seems like, like I don't, the only thing else that makes sense that you would legitimately sit there and think about that long is like aces. <laughs> like, like I have top set here, or sevens, or do, you know, like I have a set and this guy's telling me he has a flush. What the heck do I do? 
Those are very possible. I definitely felt like when he called on the turn that a set was more likely than mm-hmm. it was on the flop. Yeah, it, his actions would make that a higher part of his holding, I would think. Yeah. So uh, the river came. So he called after 90 seconds, and now there's 27,725 in the pot. By the way, he only has another 15,000 or so, and I only have another 12,000 or so. Mm-hmm. So this pot is bigger than our stacks. And the river is the tray of diamonds. And I have to tell you that I didn't watch the river come down. I watched my opponent as the river was dealt. Mm. And I felt that he did not like the river card. And I got to tell you, I've probably not played as much live poker as you have. But, you know, I've played 100 live tournaments or something. Um it is one of the most accurate things I've seen. Like, w- when you feel like somebody hated a river card, they almost always hated it. Like, it's not very often where I'm like, wow, he hates that river. And then I make a move and he shows me the nuts. <laughs> like, um, right. He would I, have I, to I, be aware that I was watching him and not the, the river. Mm-hmm. And he would have to be good enough at acting to convince me without overacting that he didn't like it when in fact he loved it. Right. And I just don't, this guy doesn't strike me as a, as that kind of live player. I don't think he has a lot of live experience. I don't think he's played too many $1,700 tournaments. I don't think he's thinking about what I'm watching him do or not do. I think he's hoping the river's not what it ended up being. Right. So when I looked at the river, I was surprised to see it was a diamond because I thought my opponent didn't like it, and I kind of thought my opponent had a diamond. Right. A lot, right? Like he could have, like we said, ace-king with the king of diamonds was still in a big part of his range. But now that he looks disappointed, so this is really the crux of the hand. How much would you trust, or how much should I trust, a live read like normally because it's a diamond i would check and give up because he got there right and he was there all along but he doesn't know that (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) but because he seems so disappointed i have to consider should i continue now right so this is interesting because a you have the live read and i think we do want to talk about how much we trust that but we also have to talk about the, the the pot and how much you know how many chips we have left and how often a shove has to work here for it to be profitable so if we look at the whole range of hands we've talked about that he could have we agree that maybe like ace queen with no diamond and things like that are a smaller part of his range but they're possible possible but um, i think they would usually fold the yeah, I, yeah i definitely agree um we talked about sets we also disc- you know discounted the fact that he flopped a flush, but let's not forget that he could still have some of those kind of things, and it could be things like five, six of diamond. Well, oh yeah, I was gonna say that makes a straight flush, but it doesn't. So that's another reason he could hate this river, right? Um, because he could be like, oh, you know, I oh I, I, play, I slow played it the whole time. I had him right where I wanted him, and of course another diamond comes. So 
Uh, and, you know, and then there's a possibility that he has the King of Diamonds or the Queen of Diamonds. He might even fool the Queen of Diamonds here. We don't know. Um, but we, I mean, we have 11.8K left. There's 27K in the, or almost 28K in the middle. A bunch of those hands we just talked about have to fold when we show set. Well, don't have to, but likely will. Sets, sometimes those smaller flushes, a very small but not a, a non-zero amount of the Queen of Diamonds hands. Um, so, I mean, I don't think I hate shoving here at all. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sh- I, if I shove, I'm giving my opponent almost four to one on a call. And mm-hmm. so if he has any type of flush, he probably should call because he's just getting such a good price to call with a flush. Yes, unless he's really afraid of making mistakes in this live tournament that he's not comfortable playing yet. Derek Tenbush, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that's what I thought of. <laughs> that's, what, that's what hit me is that against most players, the shoving here would be less profitable because they're going to call and catch my bluff so often when they're given such a good price. But because I had this read on him in general and this specific read on him on the river, I decided to go for it. And I put in my last 11.8 with Jack High and my opponent tanked for about three minutes and wow. folded. That's a long time. That's a huge table. amount. After he already tanked for 90 <laughs> seconds on the turn and players at the table were getting annoyed, you know, and he told <laughs> the guy next to him he had a set of aces. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, don't try this at home. I don't recommend trying to bluff people off a set of aces. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There was, there was a part of me that was hoping, like, with all that buildup about the live reads and the pot, all this stuff, you were going to be like, he had the king of diamonds. And he yeah, called. <laughs> he called. He snap called me. Yeah, he had the nuts. And stuff. Yeah, I mean, I and that has happened to me before. I mean, nobody's live read. I don't care who they are. Nobody's live reads are 100% accurate. But I guess I play so much live poker that I've learned to really trust certain situations. Like you say, the river tell is usually pretty reliable yeah you know especially a player like this now if you try to pick up a river tell against you know like one of the best players in the world like if fedor is across from you and you're trying to pick up a river tell on him like good luck yeah don't try this one against him (laughs) yeah i'm not talking about against the best in the world it all starts with i had a feel for who he was right when he sat down and i don't mean to pat myself on the back too much for this hand because it was still a tough river decision. And I'm glad it worked out in my favor. But I I've, I thought there was a decent chance that you might say, even though it worked, you don't like it. And that's why I right, wanted right. to talk about it. You know, I, I try not to be too results-oriented. It is nice to pick up a nice pot like this. By the way, I end up not even cashing in this tournament. So it's not like, you know, <laughs> and after that, that, that springboarded me into, you know, the final table or something. You know, nothing like that. No Cinderella story here or anything, but... You know, yeah. just a kind of a a spot that I think a lot of players would have missed that I took, and I still wasn't sure whether it was a spot I should have taken, but I just, in this particular case, I felt like trusting my live read was the way to go, and if I, I've done this before and lost, and like you say, got caught by the king of diamonds, and, you know, caught bluffing and have to go home, 
And in those situations, mm-hmm. I remember feeling like, well, you know what, Clayton, you had a read and you trusted your read. Yeah. And that's all you can do. And I don't re- usually feel bad when I bust in this way. So if you are a good enough actor and you find yourself at my table and you're able to convince me, as this guy did, that you hate the river, you might <laughs> get all my chips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what's kind of interesting here, too, which is something I haven't really thought a lot about, but the fact that we're out of position and we're doing the shoving first act it, on a very scary board makes me think it's even a better play. It just looks so strong. Like, if he had, if this was reversed and he checked you on the river and then you shove, he might go, well, you know, he, I checked him, and so of course he's going to bluff here because now I look weak, so I'm going to call with my top set of aces. But you've kind of, you've been the aggressor the whole time, and, you're, and you, you saw the three of diamonds just like he did and said, I, I like that card. <laughs> that card looks cool to me. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I, I sometimes wonder if this, if this hand were, the positions in this hand were reversed, if you actually get a call from the aces here. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would at least some of the time, especially given the price. But I agree with you. It's a really good point. Sometimes being out of position is a good thing. I, I have a lot more success bluffing from out of position than I do in position because guys mm-hmm. love to check and bluff catch. I, actually, I even spoke uh, about your hand. I said that I make more money than the average player checking and calling. That's what that mm-hmm. is, right? You, you, yep. you know, bl- you're bluff catching. So I will say, too, that I don't like the way he played his hand almost anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, um, he was scared. He played his hand in a timid and scared way, but he, I think his hand was just a little too strong to fold until it finally wasn't. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, if I'm him, I might just call on the flop. When you raise, but I'm I'm definitely getting it on the turn. Yeah, yeah. If he really did have a set of aces, which we don't know. I mean, I, I heard him say that to his neighbor. He didn't say mm. it to me, so it's a little yeah. more reliable. But he might be just trying to save face. Maybe he had something else. But whatever he had, um, I don't like the way he played the hand. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I think I'll do it for this episode, Derek. Thank you so much cool. for joining me. Uh, very stimulating conversation. Definitely, guys, tweet us. Let me know how bad you think this shove is uh, at Clayton Comic. And Derek, let them know what you're up to and where they can reach you as well. Yeah, so hit me up um, at Derek Tenbush, which I'm not going to spell because it's all spelled weird, but I'll put it down in the show notes so you can hit me up on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, twitch.tv slash Killingbird, too, if you want to come by and check out the stream sometime. Every Tuesday night, you have what you call a home game, but it's not a home game, is it? You're not there handing out snacks and drinks for everybody. No, right. but it's close. You know, it's like it's, it's close as you can get on, on, on the virtual felt. You know, it's yeah. a private password, so only people that come and get the password from me can can join. It's very cheap. It's a three dollar and thirty cent uh, tournament with re-entries. So if you know you bust, you can get back in. And there's a dollar bounty on everybody's head. So if you know. You can you can kind of kill a little variance by getting a couple of bounties, and I always put some amount of money extra on my head. So like uh, last night in the home game, I had twenty bucks on my head. So if you knocked me out, you know, in a three dollar tournament, you got twenty bucks, which I just oh. sent you uh, on your account. So it's a lot of fun. People talk about the trash. It's like the one tournament where like you're allowed to slow roll people, and you're allowed to like <laughs> bl- you know bluff and show the bluff, and you're allowed to call somebody a fish because we all know each other. So it's just a lot of fun. So. Uh, yeah, come join the come join the action. It's a good time. That sounds great. One of these days, I'm gonna fire up, download the uh, ACR client, and play with you. 
<laughs> one of these days nice. for, for a Tuesday night home game just to see if I can get that bounty myself. Sounds the, great. The bragging rights that that would afford me here on the podcast. You'll never live it down <laughs> if I collect your bounty. As long as you don't have to put one back on my head as well, then it will be okay. All right. Well, uh, for Derek Tenbush and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.